so good to be together this morning. If you uh, got a Bible, I invite you to get it out and grab the book of Isaiah, chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And um, today we're launching not only a new teaching series, but really a new season um, that will lead us up to and through the Christmas season together. And I uh, mentioned a couple weeks ago that as we enter into Advent, uh, we're really entering into the new year of the church calendar, or the Christian year, as it's been called. And so today is Advent Sunday, which means uh, Christians all over the world of all different denominations and traditions are together um, starting this kind of Christian new year, this uh, another round through the story of Jesus as we uh, get ready to celebrate Christmas together. So today's Advent Sunday, first Sunday of Advent, and uh, I'm excited to begin this journey together. Um, during these four Sundays, we will be in a teaching series we're calling Kingdom Come. And it's essentially a time of um, discussing and pressing into this idea that we believe at Christmas, what we're celebrating is the birth of our king. And that king, by the name of Jesus, has a kingdom that he's bringing with him. And that kingdom um, is marked by things like peace and joy and love and hope. And so the kingdom of Jesus isn't a kingdom of greed or fear or violence, or terror. We know all about those kinds of kingdoms throughout history and throughout the world. But the good news of Christmas is that the kingdom of God has come to us in the person of Jesus. And his kingdom is one of love and hope and joy and peace. Which happen to be those four things, the four traditional themes of the Advent season that for centuries now, followers of Jesus have been pressing into during this, this time. And so we're going to take one of those themes for each of uh, these four weeks and look at how Christmas means the arrival of God's love, hope, peace, joy in the world. So this morning we're going to talk about peace, how Christmas paves the way for peace. Now, when we come to this time of year, uh, peace on earth is one of those sayings or slogans that gets thrown around a lot, right, on Christmas cards or decorations or whatever else. And rightfully so, the very first announcement of Jesus' arrival in the world, Jesus' birth in Luke 2, the angels show up and say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on those to whom, on whom his favor rests, right? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men was the first thing said about Jesus' arrival in the world. And so when we think of this season, we should think of peace. And for many of us, when we think of peace at Christmas, our first place of going is kind of a sentimental kind of peace, right? It's sort of a vibe or a sense of, yeah, the holiday season, we want it to be a time where things are kind of serene and, and holy and a silent night, a, a quiet night. Um, a time to be together with family and loved ones. Like, we want peace. And, and there's nothing wrong with thinking of or pursuing peace at that level, but I think we know that the announcement the angel makes um, is, is peace at a whole nother level. Um, but oftentimes, the way we depict Christmas, the Christmas story, um, 
doesn't help us. So I'll show you a nativity scene. You probably are seeing, starting to see a lot of these this time of year, and uh, maybe you even have little, uh, little figurines of your own that you set out at your house. And um, this is an incredible, incredibly peaceful scene, isn't it? Right? With, uh, you know, Mary and Joseph and this baby and a shower of light and all these well-behaved barn animals kind of gathered around. And I think there's even a dude playing a clarinet or something. Like, <laughs> um, and so we look at these scenes and go, oh, yeah, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And the reality is, it's like, man, this is an incredibly sentimentalized and sterilized <laughs> take on what that night would have actually been like, right? First of all, she's giving birth in a barn, which nobody's stoked about. It doesn't smell good. Like, those animals aren't just doing that. They're doing other things as well, right? If you give birth on hay, it doesn't stay nice and clean and and white and shiny, like, there's no clarinets. We sterilize this whole story and go, oh, yeah, peace on earth. What a special, sentimental time, all right? Or maybe we take the next step and we modernize our sterilized nativity and we do something like this, which you may have seen this week, the hipster nativity scene, which you can now buy. And so you have Mary and Joseph taking a selfie of their baby with their latte. You have the three wise men bearing gifts in Amazon boxes, riding on segways. And then you have the shepherd over on his iPad, uh, the sheep wearing a sweater, the uh, cow is eating gluten-free grain. So, um, oh, and a solar-powered stable, as you can see too, right? So hipster hipster nativity. Um, it's the same idea. Obviously, it's a joke, but it's like this kind of really sterilized, uh, clean, silent, holy night kind of thing. Let me show you my favorite nativity portrayal. came across this a couple years ago called Jose y Maria by Everett Patterson. And um, I don't know how well you can see all the details, but Google it some other time, and uh, every single part of this illustration has meaning. A lot of it's just kind of whimsical and lighthearted, but you really have this young minority teenage couple, um, no room at the end. She's pregnant and uh, trying to find a place where they can find a home and give birth for the evening. And all of a sudden, um, the grittiness, the scandalous nature of this story starts <clears throat> to come into view. Here's why this is important. Here's why this is important. When we come into the Christmas season, we have to remember that God didn't enter into some sanitized version of the world. That the time and place that God chose to make his arrival in our world was an incredibly complex and challenging and difficult time in history. You have these powers and you had these empires rising and falling. You had war. You had all kinds of blood and violence and uh, really, really difficult days for, for many, many people. That's the world that Jesus showed up in. And so I can try to describe that for you more, but instead I want to show you. And this may be a little strange, especially on a Sunday when we're kicking off the Christmas season, and we're talking about peace. Um, this is not a peaceful clip, 
But I want to show you what it looks like for a baby to be born into the midst of brokenness in our world. And it's from one of my favorite movies. Um, it's called Children of Men. It's 10 years old now. And uh, if you remember a couple weeks ago when we were talking about future things, we were talking about utopian and dystopian versions or visions of the future that we see in literature and movies and art. Children of Men is a dystopian vision of the future. It's about, well, it was 20 years at the time, about 10 years in the future for us now. And um, the future that it imagines is a world where humanity is right on the edge of, of extinction. And so the setting is that uh, all the women on earth have become infertile. And so there hasn't been a, a baby born in 18 years. Okay? And so people are panicking as uh, literally like humanity is dying off. Okay? And so all these kinds of things have gone down. Eastern European and African societies are immigrating uh, to... To, uh, to the UK, trying to find safety there uh, as refugees. And there's this just whole, whole kind of war that's, that's unfolding in this vision. And then here's what happens. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of hopelessness, in the mix of the looming end of humanity, this 18-year-old African refugee girl finds herself pregnant. Right? And... Um, Nobody's been pregnant for, for decades. And she has this baby. It's a baby girl. And this little baby that's born in a barn in the movie um, represents humankind's hope for survival. Okay, so the scene I'm going to show you is not far after this baby is born, not long after this baby is born. Clive Owen's character named Theo is kind of trying to help and protect this young woman and her child escape a very intense and violent war scene and um, <clears throat> see what happens when a baby is born into a broken world. Now, I will tell you right now, this is um, an intense and, uh, and uh, it's a war scene, right? So it uh, may not be great for kids or others that have, have triggers related to that thing. But I want to show you about five minutes, and I want us to enter into the Christmas story uh, through this clip. Go ahead, Kip. I've forgotten what they look like. They're so beautiful. They're so tiny. Julian was wrong. She thought it could be peaceful. But how can it be peaceful when they try and take away your dignity? We need him, Theo. We need the baby. We need him. It's a girl, Luke. I had a sister. How is she? 
Erneut. Super powerful, right? Um, in preaching 101, they tell you never to show a feature film clip in the middle of your sermon because then nobody wants to stop watching the movie. Uh, I'm with you. I'd rather just keep watching it. But um, what does it look like when a baby representing the hope of humanity is born into the midst of the world that's torn by violence and terror and fear and blood? Um, I don't... I can't think of a better depiction of what's being prophesied in Isaiah 9 and what's being celebrated uh, as we enter into Christmas. So again, in Isaiah 9, or in Isaiah 9, I want to read uh, these, these few verses that are foretelling uh, the, the day when God would break into human history. We'll start in verse 2, Isaiah 9. 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so now, hopefully after the clip, hearing that, we begin to identify with the people of Israel who were longing for God to break into the world. A time of fear, a time of destruction, a time of violence and division. And God, through the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ, speaks these words of hope into his people. There will be a child. There will be a baby. And that baby will bring a kingdom, a kingdom of peace as well as joy and love and hope, okay? And so Isaiah describes the kingdom of this baby king that would be born, this Messiah of Israel, the sent one, the promised one. And he names all these uh, kind of these different titles, which really are just beautiful, wonderful ways of unpacking the character of God. What is God like? What kind of God do we have? What kind of God is sending this, this child king into the world. And the one that we'd focus in on this morning would be the idea that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And that his government or his kingdom, his reign, would be marked by a peace that would never end. Okay? So we, we've talked about this quite a few times as a church, that the word we use for peace um, doesn't really capture what the biblical writers were trying to get across. When we think peace, we think absence of conflict, right? We think things are chill, things are cool. When the Bible talks about peace, it uses the word shalom, right? Which is not just the absence of conflict, but it's this picture of flourishing, the picture of how things are supposed to be, the picture of things put back together in a way that's beautiful and restored and redeemed, a full, robust, harmonious peace. Eugene Peterson says this, Shalom is one of the richest words in the Bible. You can no more define it by looking up its meaning in the dictionary than you can define a person by his or her social security number. It gathers all aspects of wholeness that result from God's will being completed in us. It is the work of God that, when complete, releases streams of living water in us and pulsates with eternal life. Yeah, beautiful description. 
It's this idea of the calling forth of the world that God has always intended. It's about the restoration of all the severed and damaged relationships that make up the world we live in today, right? So the relationship that humanity has with God and the relationship that humans have with each other and the relationship that we have as humans with ourselves and the relationship that we as humanity have with the rest of God's created world. All of these relationships are important to God and he built them in to this world that we live in and all of them have been damaged and broken by the presence of sin and evil. And so the good news that Isaiah is foretelling is that one day God is going to send a baby king and that king would grow up to announce and his very presence, in, in fact, would be the inauguration of this kingdom that will be marked by several things, one of which is shalom. That God's arrival in the world in Christ means that there is hope for all these severed relationships, that God is on a mission to restore all things back to himself through Christ, all these relationships that have been damaged by sin. The good news of Jesus is that he's putting it all back together again. Peace on earth. Not just quiet night, holy night, animals, clarinet, right? Things as they were always supposed to be. Now, here's what's interesting. I think everybody um, would go, yeah, that's a good idea. We should, we should pursue peace. We should try to hope for or pray for or work for a world where everything is as it should be. Well, how does that happen? And in fact, there's been several attempts throughout human history to create a perfect world, haven't there? How do those go? They don't go well. To create a perfect world, a world of peace, a world where things are right, oftentimes is pursued through the means of violence and power and fear. And when Isaiah predicts or proclaims that God's king would be the prince of peace, he's not just talking about the ends, but also the means. He's not just talking about what the world is one day going to be like, but he's actually talking about how it's going to get there. That the kingdom of God in the end is a kingdom of peace, but it's also a kingdom that is established and announced and built, and built through the practice of peace. Okay, so the first advent, the first coming of Christ at Christmas was in the midst of what was known as Pax Romana, right? The peace of Rome. And this is a peace that was derived by violence and death or the threat of both. And that kind of peace is not peace at all, is it? When Jesus comes, his life and his death and his resur resurrection completely and directly contradicted Pax Romana. Because when he established his peace, his kingdom, <clears throat> it wasn't by picking up the sword Right? It wasn't by manipulating the powers or using violence or something like that. But Jesus comes and he subjects himself to the violence of the world. He doesn't come killing, he comes to be killed. He doesn't come to take lives, he comes to lay down his life. 
He doesn't come as a big, powerful king with a throne and a crown. He comes as a humble baby, meek and vulnerable. And so he doesn't pursue bloodshed. His blood is shed for the sins of the world. And he allows his body to to be broken apart, his blood to be poured out so that peace could come. That's the kind of king we need. That's the kind of hope humanity has to have. This is the good news of Jesus. And so we understand that we are living between the advents. We are living between the first and second comings of Christ in the world. And at the first coming, he inaugurates his kingdom. And he says, this is what it's going to be about. And this is the, the new world and the new humanity, the new reality that I'm establishing. And the language Jesus uses when he talks about the kingdom is always kind of hard to nail down. He never defines the kingdom. He just describes it. It's like this or it's like that. It's sort of like seeds or like yeast or something like that. And so the seeds of shalom, of Christ's peace, have been sprinkled into the into the soil of the earth we walk on. But we stand here today in 2016 and go, yeah, it doesn't feel like that really happened. (laughs) It doesn't feel like we're quite living in the reality that Isaiah predicted. Because if you want to talk about division, talk about the world we live in today, the division between nations, the division in our nation the division in our families, the division within our own lives and hearts. We're still desperately longing for this kind of peace. Which is why when it comes to this time of year, we look back and we celebrate the first advent that Jesus has announced and inaugurated this kingdom of peace, but we also look forward longingly expectantly waiting for the consummation of God's kingdom, for the second coming of Christ, where he will once and for all establish his kingdom of peace here on earth. It's interesting, most of us don't typically associate the second coming of Jesus with what we're celebrating at Christmas. But that's always been at the heart of this story. In fact, you know our hymn, Joy to the World? The Lord has come, let earth receive her king. We sing that at Christmas time. That's about the second coming. It's inspired by Psalm 98. Isaac Watts writes it, talking about something that hasn't happened yet. Now, I think it's appropriate for us to sing it at Christmas, right? Because Christ has come, but he is still coming. His kingdom is already here, but it's not yet here. His peace is here, but it's still on its way. And so we as the people of God sit here both looking back grateful that Jesus has arrived in our world and anticipating the day where he comes again. But we don't just sit and wait, do we? We don't just kind of hang back and go, ah, one day God's going to make everything right, so we'll just wait for that day to happen. We talked about children of men What does it mean to be children of God? Well, Jesus had something to say about who would be called the children of God 
in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. The invitation as a community of people, a new humanity, the church, living between the advents is to join Jesus on his mission of bringing peace on earth. To get on board with what he's doing in restoring severed relationships back to wholeness and back to flourishing. When Jesus says it's blessed, he's saying it's good. It's what we're here for. It's the good life. It's the happy life. It's the true, human, authentic existence. We're not just children of man. We are children of God who get to be part of what he is doing in the world. And so one of the ways that we want to invite uh, our, our community into this journey is to go as those who are living as people of peace, who are pursuing as far as it as far as we're able to live at peace with everyone, as Paul says, and to follow Jesus as peacemakers in the world. Now, I don't know about you, I would much rather be a peacekeeper than a peacemaker. Right? If you know anything about the Enneagram, I'm a nine, it's a peacemaker, which means I like things to be chill. I like things to be fun, I like things to be laid back. Um, if there's something that everyone else is doing, I would rather not. Um, <laughs> Just in general, I'm good. Uh, so some of you, some of you get that. Um, and so my kind of default version of peacemaking really is more like peacekeeping. Like, hey, let's not let's not stir things up too much. Let's not have hard conversations. Let's not get our hands too dirty, right? And that's not who Jesus says is blessed. To be peacemakers is to be activated, to be people who see what he sees, who enter in to the, the broken places within our world, our nation, our city, our family, even within our own life, and to courageously, with faith in Jesus himself, to say, that's not the way it's supposed to be, and it doesn't have to be that way. That when I see people at conflict, when I see brokenness in relationships, when I see inconsistency with what is and what should be, Christ calls us to join him courageously and faithfully in practicing the presence of his kingdom of peace, to truly be peacemakers. It's hard work, and each of us finds our, has to find our own way of entering into those stories. But the question I would ask of you today is in these next weeks, as we move towards Christmas, is there a place where Jesus is inviting you to join him in making peace? Is there a relationship in your own life where there needs to be forgiveness and grace and restoration? And maybe it's a relationship you're involved in or one that you would help mediate. Are there those within our city or within greater central Oregon area who aren't going to experience a taste of this peace at the holidays? Maybe we as the church would show up in courageous and creative ways to announce and to practice the presence of Christ's peace in those lives. Or maybe that's, it's simply that place within you that relationship with yourself 
where Jesus wants to bring his peace. Will you let him? Will you let him? We'll close with a prayer from St. Francis, the famous peace prayer that's been passed down for centuries now among Christ's followers. And uh, I'll pray it on our behalf and then Ben and the band will lead us into worship. Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let us sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. And where there's sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, and to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.